This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Monday morning. The snow is falling in London. I'm getting a lot of abuse already from people in other parts of Britain. So it's not snowing here. It's not snowing in Blackpool. It's not snowing in Nottingham. It's not snowing in other parts of the country. Why are you making such a fuss? Well, it's snowing in London. Or at least it was snowing in London. And so therefore, uh, there's an awful lot of shirking of jobs going around. Uh, somebody's also tweeted me from Devon to say it's been snowing here for two days. We're snowed in. Nobody's ever mentioned it. Well, you know, the snow's a big deal when it happens. And if you happen to be in the middle of it, as I was last night, then you're going to comment on it. So I make no apology for that. But what I will be asking you is what it's like where you are. And if you are, in fact, having your day disrupted by it. Because, of course, schools are immediately shut down. Uh, my son's school this morning uh, sent out a message. It's 19 minutes past six to say that because the roads were so dangerous, they weren't going to open the school. Well, how do they know? 19 minutes past six. Are there any gritting lorries out there? Probably not. Uh, people could go to school. They could walk there. There's no need to shut the school. People have to stay home now to look after their kids. It's not necessarily the right thing to do. 0344 499 1000. Of course, uh, we've got a great... Incredible number uh, of guests this morning. We've got Rod Little to kick off. We've got Peter Hitchens coming up as well. We've got Mark Saggers to talk about the England debacle at the weekend. Some people seem to think uh, that Harry Kane's a hero. I think they might need to redefine the word. I'm not going to have a go at Harry Kane this morning, but I am going to say that England failed miserably to do what they were supposed to do, which was to get to the very least uh, the semi-finals, maybe even the finals. Harry Kane, who's paid millions and millions of pounds a year to take penalties and to score goals, managed to miss the goal altogether. Sorry, I don't think that's a thing to celebrate. I don't think you can go around calling the three lines heroes of the hour when they lost to France. They shouldn't have lost to France. They should have scored that penalty. They should have gone to extra time and then lost on penalties. Because that's what normally England does, right? 0344 499 1000. Peter Hitchens will talk to us as well uh, about his latest news from Ukraine. Uh, Rod Little will talk to us about uh, the situation regarding the football, but also uh, the strikes. Because this morning uh, we've got the Times front page. Drafting in troops won't prevent NHS strike chaos. Uh, and of course we've got the Telegraph saying 
Rail strikes will force families to hold a virtual Christmas. Marvellous, isn't it? You know, after today, you literally won't be able to get a train in this country to go anywhere, probably until sometime in the second week of January. Fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Now, Jeremy Clarkson at the weekend suggested we might as well just do away with trains altogether. Maybe he's got a point. 0344 499 1000. You want to call us, you get your views across and we will tell everybody else what you're thinking, of course, as well. And if you are sitting peacefully, happily, without any snow, well, I'm very happy for you, very pleased for you. But it isn't going to be very pleasant out there if you're driving. There were people stuck on the M25 all night. Um, couldn't be a nicer place to be stuck, could it? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the home of Common Sense, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. First question from Angela. Don't they have gritting machines for the M25? Uh, well, I'm not sure of the answer to that, actually. I don't know if anybody's got gritting machines anymore, because whenever we do have um, a problem with snow, somebody says, well, we don't have gritting machines, we don't have gritting lorries, we don't have salt, because, of course, it doesn't snow very much. Right, OK, then. Uh, let's talk to Rod Little, columnist for The Sun, and, of course, The Sunday Times as well. Rod, a very good morning to you. Good morning, mate. When one snowflake falls on London, <laughs> nine million snowflakes go berserk. I know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not kidding, mate. It's, it's true. Uh, no, mean, listen, it's true. I mean, there was an inordinate amount of snow last night, much more than there normally is, I have to say. And I know that you guys in the hardy north have got probably much more snow to worry about than we have. But, I mean, you can't really avoid it. A lot of people have not gone to work this morning just because they don't fancy it. I remember walking from Streatham to uh, Broadcasting House when I was working for the BBC back in the late 80s. Yeah. Uh, walking... Well, it must be about six, seven miles through snowdrifts yes. in order to get to work. Yes. Uh, but I, I think people people no longer feel they need to go to work anymore. No. I don't know if you saw a recent survey of uh, of young people. I think it was something like a quarter uh, have decided that they have no intention of entering the job market. Yes. Uh, there's this sense of entitlement, you know, uh, about it. Uh, well, I'm up here in the uh, on the Northumberland border uh, in County Durham in the middle of the Pennines. And it's not that cold. I mean, it's it's zero. You know, it's yeah. it's what we call winter. <laughs> well, exactly right. I mean, proper cold, right, is when I was in Chicago once and I went out of the hotel and they actually had a um, a warning in the hotel to say, please, we're not joking, just don't go out. It really is very, very yeah. cold. And it was something like minus 10 Fahrenheit, you know, and you went out. And breathing into a scarf that I had around my neck made the scarf so hard it solidified. I could actually punch myself in the face and not feel it. That's how cold it was. And I mean, Lake Michigan yeah. was frozen. That was properly cold. That's proper cold. Yeah, that's proper cold. Yeah. But, you know, here we are. We're at the start of the worst week for travelling, probably in the history of Britain. There's a general strike starting basically tomorrow, which is going to rope in the railways, rope in the NHS, rope in, um, you know, ambulance drivers, paramedics, all of that plus border forces going, I mean, they're all going on strike. What are we going to do? You know, I've been thinking about it, and I, I, I think that with capitalism, and with, particularly in our country, there's a reset every 40 or 50 years, and I think that's what's happening now, mm. just as it happened in 1978 uh, and just as it happened in 1929. And it's when... Because what what we try to do with welfare capitalism is regulate it so that the people get a decent wage and but industry still makes a profit. What what what's happened over the last twenty years is that wages have been falling in relation to you know consumer goods, um, 
they, they, we are a low-wage economy, much as we were in 78, much as we were in 29. And this is across a whole bunch of professions and trades. Mm. And I think that this is another one of those great resets where people come out and ask for 20% pay rises, uh, which they may well feel they're entitled to. I, I don't feel a huge anger towards any of the strikers, apart from uh, the railway unions, whose targeting of Christmas weeks uh, seems to be an act of utter spite towards, um, you know, all the people who wish to see their families at Christmas. Yes. Also, they're being very um, disingenuous about it, making out that we should be angry with the rail operating uh, companies rather than with them. Well, you know, the rail well, operating indeed. companies aren't very good aren't very good at what they do either, but they're not the ones disrupting the trains. Well, no, 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 I agree. And you probably disagree with me on this, but I think we should have the a state-run rail network. No, uh, listen, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, it, as long as it's both, better, as long as it's better than it was when they ran it before. Yeah, well, we both remember the glory days of British Rail, don't yeah. we, mate? Um, uh, yeah, uh, and, and there, there are problems with with the state running the rail network, and you know the lack of kind of entrepreneurial and innovation uh, that you sometimes don't get with nationalised companies. Would we have seen the javelin trade in the southeast of England under nationalisation? You know, I have my doubts about yeah. that. Uh, but but still, yeah, no, I, I, the, the, the rail unions, you know, led by people who have sympathies for North Korea and Russia, mm. uh, uh, genuinely would have been what Margaret Thatcher called the enemy within. Right. Uh, but it's this, it's the spite directed at, at, at the rest of us that annoys me. That being said, you know, we have had a low-wage economy for too long, and everyone knows it's a low-wage economy, Here's a way of it not being one. <laughs> you know, people asking for twenty percent pay rise. Yes. You know, that that's 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 it's a natural occurrence, I think. Well, perhaps. I mean, the trouble with the way that the railways were run before when they were nationalised was that the unions basically decided what was going to happen. The unions really ran the railways. The, the, you know, the, yeah. the, the government never got anywhere near it. And no, all I hear about from people who know people who work on the railways is they don't do very much work. I was talking to somebody at the weekend uh, whose best friend is a signalman. Apparently he only works two days a week and spends the rest of the time running a horse farm. You know, it's a bit like the old days of the printers. You know, they've all got other jobs because they don't have to work very much. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's true. I mean, it's also true that, that, I mean, the reason our railways are in the state they're in is that when they were uh, nationalised, when they were in public ownership um, and before, uh, there was no investment in them. You know, we have starved our rail networks of investment for more than 200 years. Well, mm. about 200 years. You know, we just haven't put the money in. Um, and we still have the infrastructure from, you know, the, the uh, 1800s. It's, it's a real problem. Mm. And instead, we put it all into HS2. Let's talk about England before we forget uh, that yes. the World Cup has once again... Can I run to, through to... the card on it? Yes, please do. Please do. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been saying this for four years, and, it, and, and I suppose there is some consolation that uh, a few of the football experts are now saying it themselves, which is that Gareth Southgate is not a very good manager. <laughs> uh, so, 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 you know, uh, let's, have a look at, let's have a look at Saturday night's performance. Um, we didn't take the game to the French in the first half. We played a containing game in the in the first half. Now, some teams play containing games because they have a very strong defence. Yeah. We don't. Uh, we have a very strong attack. And every time we attacked, there was no one in the penalty area to pick up those crosses from Bakayo mm. Saka or from uh, Kyle Walker or from whoever was putting the ball into the box. There was a complete absence in the penalty area. We had 
virtually no uh, direct shots either on target or off target in the penalty area mm. in that first half. You yeah. know, it was uh, it was atrocious. Second half, uh, we begin to get on top. We get a penalty. Uh, but the big difference between the two teams, uh, people were, were saying that France and England are pretty evenly matched, uh, and indeed they are. They're probably the two best teams in the tournament in terms of the players they've got. Yes. Uh, but the thing which gave us the edge was the bench, that we have far greater strength in depth mm. than France. What did we therefore not do? <laughs> Substitute people. I know. Substitute people. I, mean, it didn't even, I can't remember if it was Grealish or Rashford that came on two minutes from the end. You kind of go, what do you think he's going to do? You know. well, or Jack Grealish one minute before the end of yeah. eight minutes of extra time. Worse than that, when he did make his substitution, who did he decide to take off? He had a look around his team and he thought, the player who's causing most trouble to the French is Saka. Mm. I think I'll take him off yes. because it'll confuse them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I just do well, it not certainly confuse everybody else. It confused everybody else. He cannot react to adverse uh, uh, adverse conditions in the game. He cannot no. react. My, my impression of it, 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 it's quite simply, was this, that the French wanted it more. They were bullies which is entirely how you win tournaments and how you win football matches. And England are suffering, in my view, from an attack of overly nice behaviour. You know, actually, when I put out a tweet at the weekend, which has now reached a million hits, because I was critical of Harry Kane, and, of course, that's something you can't do. The front page of The Sun on Saturday called him a hero. I'm going, sorry? <laughs> Why is he a hero? He missed a penalty. He's paid to hit the target. He didn't even hit the target. And the bottom line is, is that they're too nice. And somebody actually tweeted me, and this is when you know that it's all gone horribly wrong for the football fans of England. This guy said, I want my sons to look up to Gareth Southgate, whether it's doing the right thing or winning the World Cup. Really? Yeah, Sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. But the trouble is, that's the view that the, that the Football Association have as well. He right. has been, he, he has had the finest crop of England players, I think, possibly in history. Mm. Uh, he managed to get us relegated from the Nations League with the worst series of results since the 1920s. You know, mm. uh, he threw away <clears throat> an astonishing opportunity against Italy uh, in the Euros final. Yeah. Uh, that is a game we could and should have won. He was way, way, way too late in reacting to changes which his opposite number, uh, Mancini, had already uh, um, uh, put in place. Mm. Uh, he failed again in the in the semi-final against Croatia, again failing to react in time. And his performance on Saturday was better. Now, Harry Kane, you know, uh, uh, that ball from the penalty, I think, has ended up somewhere near the Iranian coastline. I mean, it wasn't even <laughs> close, was it? No. But, nowhere but near. Nowhere near. But in fairness to Kane, you know, he scores nine out of ten penalties and... Therefore, statistically, one time in ten, he's going to miss. Uh, you no, know. I get all that, uh, but it's but it's not just about the penalty, is it? It's about the whole thing. I mean, it may. Somebody said to me uh, the other day, he may well have scored that penalty, and then we could have gone on to extra time and lost to, in, on penalties. You know, that that can happen. It was yeah. just the the nature of the way that you know France just seemed to do what they wanted. They, you could argue the referee was a little bit biased, but you know, in the end, they were the ones bullying the England players off the ball. Uh, yeah, I don't think the ref was biased. I just think he was a half-wit. Yes. Um, and it's also true that brilliant player though Bakayo Saka is, and he is, uh, he does go down pretty easily. 
Um, you know, he goes down quicker than yeah. George Michael in a public lavatory, <laughs> uh, as, as one, one might say. Well, uh, you may uh, well possibly allegedly, say that. yes, allegedly. Um, yes. But but no, it was the game was mismanaged. Yes, you know, and and all the big games that Gareth Southgate has come up against, he has mismanaged them. You know, I don't believe that we should win every tournament we enter, but I do believe that with these players, we've had a chance to win two, perhaps three tournaments, mm. and it's been blown away by bad management. Yes. No, I think, I, think, manage... I think you can only Sorry, conclude that. Let me, just, by... let me just stop you for a minute, because we'll come back to it. I just need to take a little break. Rod Little's with us, columnist with The Sun and The Times. Uh, he, of course, agrees with me about the way uh, that Gareth Southgate made a complete dog's breakfast of that game against France. We'll come back to that and we'll talk about the centre ground of politics as well. Coming next on Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Rod, um, I assume you don't necessarily I... think that he should stay on. Uh, uh, I would I would like him to go and run a whelk stall in Grimsby for the next <laughs> couple of years. Uh, no, I don't. I it wouldn't, be a, it wouldn't of... be a top division whelk stall either. It would, no, it would be a... It would be a League One Welk store. Yeah. Um, you know, because, of course, his previous... He was okay with the England youth-ish. Um, he was pretty awful at Middlesbrough, and that's his only other yeah. experience. And that's know? all he's ever done. Um, and he's up against somebody like Didier done. Deschamps, you know, who's coached some quite interesting teams in the past. Yeah, yeah. Didier Deschamps is a, is a class act, no question about that. I also thought Deschamps was very generous in his post-match assessment, you know, where he said that France were maybe a bit lucky at times. Um, but but no, the, the, the problem has been is that, uh, is that the kind of Southgate mentality has a stranglehold, not only on the FA, but also it's a bit like wokeism. Yeah. <laughs> but it also it has a stranglehold on, on, on nearly all the reporters who report about they're all his friends, and I, he seems to be a really nice bloke, Southgate. I'm sure and he's is. done a few things which are good. He's managed, he's managed to break down the divisions between the the players from the from the rival Championship tier, yes. the rival Premier League teams. He's done that quite well. He's given them a sense of purpose. He's done that quite well. But he has no tactical sense. Yeah. And he's not a winner. That's the point. The point is, I mean, it's all very well that he's, he's a, a nice man and he's very pleasant company and a very boring, dull sort of way. But if you look at all the successful sporting individuals and teams, they're not very nice because you have to not be very nice to win. No, no that's right. No, they're usually a bit of a bastard, if yeah. you can put it like that. Exactly. Um, uh, and, and Gareth isn't that. And, you, you know, I mean, he, he deserves some credit for kind of scooping the team together uh, for, for creating a sense of togetherness within the team. I, I, I don't doubt that. Um, and I don't doubt that he's an intelligent, well-spoken bloke. Um, but I, I think, you know, I mean, there is the issue of the knee, which has become an absurdity. Yeah. Um, when, when England take it and America doesn't, you know, right. you, you know that something is... is and, and But it's parroted these days by ITV and the BBC yeah. when they're commentating on it. This is to show inclusivity. No, it's not. It wasn't to show inclusivity at the start. It was to talk about... Uh, Black Lives Matter. That yeah. is where it comes from. Right. Black Lives Matter, yes. which has since changed its name to 
by larger mansions, by the way. Yeah, but it also um, comes so, from Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Colin Kaepernick used to take the knee during the national anthem because traditionally in the NFL, you stand for the national anthem. He yeah. took the knee as a demonstration yeah, against right. the United States of America. So if they really want to do it properly, they should kneel during the national anthem, which would then be an attack on their own country, which presumably would then lead to them all being fired. Yeah, well, do you know, uh, I think there's some people who think that. I was down at my local shops talking to an, uh, uh, an old lad who's a Sunderland supporter, and I said, will you be watching uh, the, the England game? This was before the Senegal game. Yeah. He said, no, I didn't even know it was on. He said, I'm not watching that shower. Uh, they disrespect my country. Yes, interesting. Uh, and I think there's quite a few people. There is a lot of that. There wasn't much uh, England flaggery on display, that's for sure. I only saw maybe two cars in the whole no, couple of weeks. The, 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 no, but the worst thing, is that there were no spiteful chants at the French. You know, how can we, as a nation, play France in a game of football and no one is singing, if it wasn't for the English, you'd be crowds? Yes. How, can, how can that not happen? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you how it could not happen, because the only people who could afford to go and watch them uh, in Qatar uh, were rather well-dressed, uh, rather well-furnished, shall we yes. say, England fans. They weren't the normal common or garden England fan. Uh, they were people who'd shelled out about 10 grand per game, I think. But there we are. Listen, before I let you go, we must talk about your centre ground piece in the uh, Sunday Times. Very good. Starmer huffs oh, yeah. and puffs for the centre ground, uh, but he isn't going to find many voters there. Yeah, you see, I, I think it, it, it was a mistaken piece by David Aronovich, who who uh, is a very, very elegant and, and talented writer, and wrong about almost everything that has ever happened, <laughs> uh, including including the Iraq. He still thinks that weapons of mass destruction will be found in Iraq. Yeah, they're still you know, looking. Yeah, any day still now. looking for just for David. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, it it. it, it uh, it, it, it's an illusion that, that the voters are moving towards the centre ground. If you look at issues like wokeism, the country is hugely against, and the opinion polls support this. You know, seventy percent of people don't think that uh, men who transition to being women should play against women in mm. sport. Um, uh, people don't agree with decolonising uh, curricula. You know, they don't agree with any of that. They're very hard line on it. Um, by the same token, they also quite like the idea of nationalising the utilities and a higher rate of income tax. So so in both senses, the, the public, and when you add in green issues as well, that uh, ramps it up even more. Uh, on, on most issues, the public is far more radical than is the uh, than are either of our two major parties, both to the left and to the right. Mm. Uh, and I, I, there, there is no indication that, that people want a kind of soft... Jeremy Huntish consensus, no. none whatsoever. No, exactly right, which takes us rather nicely back to England. And it's all the same argument in the end. Rod Little, thank you very much indeed. Columnist for The Sun and The Sunday Times. Keep watching out for his columns as they're brilliant. Um, and he's got some very interesting things to say there about the England team. We'll be talking to Mark Saggers about that coming next as well. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're going to have quite a cold winter. It's as simple as that. You know, I've lived in New York City where sometimes it snows two feet overnight. And it comes to a bit of a slowdown in the morning, but by about nine o'clock, everything's back to normal. I've been on planes that have taken off in more snow than this. What's going on? Why is it that Britain is so hopeless? And are we also a nation now of people who don't want to go to work? People who just simply wake up in the morning, take a look out the window and go, oh, it looks a bit horrible out there. I don't think I'll bother going in. After all, it is Monday, and I don't normally work on a Monday anyway. I work from home. That's what's happening in this country. 
There are more people interested in a work-life balance than they are in actually making money. It's extraordinary. Well, that's not going to save the economy, and it's not going to boost the economy either. So would you mind, even if you don't actually want to go to work, at least go out and spread some salt on the ground so that the snow disappears quicker, so that people who might not be that steady on their feet can actually walk around and go out to the shops. Because some people are snowed in, and if they are, then you should help them out. And you should go shopping on their behalf. Well, what you shouldn't do is just lie in bed under the duvet, counting your lucky stars that your boss doesn't care. Because that's where we are, I would say, in this particular place, in this United Kingdom. Let's talk to Gareth, who's in Derbyshire. Hello, Gareth. Good morning, Mike. Morning, sir. What can I do for you? Yeah, well, no, I'm thinking about this Gareth Southgate oh, issue. Yeah. Now, yeah. Gareth did actually decide to do the decent thing and walk away because he's failed. Yeah. Who would employ him? I mean, would he get a job at Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, Tottenham, Man United, Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, Fulham, Brentford? I mean, as a Derby County fan, I'd be quite happy if he went down to the city ground at Nottingham Forest. (laughs) I just don't think he'd get a decent job. Well, no, because he's not a a thinker, is he? He's not somebody who is a tactical genius. I don't know what his, his strength is in uniting the players, apparently. Well, if you can't unite the players playing for England, then he shouldn't be in the job. When it's come to the crunch in the important game, in all the top tournaments we've been in, uh, he's failed, he's been found wanting. Yeah. And don't forget, they had a master plan with Gareth Southgate, and it was to get to the final in 2022. Right. Well, he's failed because he's done the worst than last time. Yeah, exactly. He? Exactly. Yeah. And it's not. I don't think it's good enough to say that England are a top eight team, therefore they should make the quarterfinals, and that's good enough. Well, it's not good enough, is it? No, they didn't take the game to France. I mean, I've, I've heard your earlier callers and they're all got it spot on, really. Yeah. This idea that all England fans want Gareth Southgate to keep the job until America in 2026, no. it's completely untrue. No. I haven't spoken to one who thinks that. So, um, I mean, truth is, most, I mean, a lot of England fans, we're not really up for this World Cup anyway. Most of them are just interested in watching their own team and wish that their own team could have been playing in yeah. December yeah. instead of uh, having to put up with that. Absolutely um, right. So when does the Premier League actually return? Well, I don't know. I'm lucky because my team's in the third division, which is quite nice. We've carried on playing. But but where snow's concerned, I just want to make sure there's enough snow in Val d'Isere when I go skiing, if I'm allowed to go with the border force. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you can get there, that's great. You may not be able to get back. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't mind. I'll stay in Valdezera all winter if uh, I get the opportunity. Might be a good idea. Get get stuck into the uh, the Gruyere cheese. Yeah, and a bit of yeah, yeah. Some nice downhill skiing and some uh, some fondue. <laughs> yeah, a bit of that afterwards. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, and some Armagnac as well. will go down well. Gareth, good call. Thank you very much indeed. Chris is in Hereford. Hi, Chris. Hello. How are you? Very well, sir. What can I do for you? Well, I watched the game on Saturday and I was bitterly disappointed because I think England should have played better than that. And as you said, there's a lot of people saying that, oh, well, England have come back heroes and they've and then they're a great team and all this rubbish and all that. But they did worse than last time. We went to the final of the Euros 2020. We should have won that against Italy. Italy were, I thought Italy were absolutely rubbish. We should have beat Italy. Yeah. And basically, uh, they were on about getting foreign coaches in. Well, look at the women's game. They got bring a foreign coach in with Serena Vigman. They went on to win the Euros. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have had foreign coaches for England. Remember Sven Joran Eriksson, and that was supposed to be the golden yeah. generation. And there was the Italian bloke as well, wasn't there? 
They didn't do too well. No, but as I said, like, it's just... I just don't think they want it. I think they're overpaid, right? They're made to feel like superstars. And I just don't think... You look at a team like Morocco, like Mark Sagers was saying, who absolutely are hungry for it and would do anything to win a game. There's nobody playing for England that feels like that, right? Looking on Saturday, looking at that bench, you look on that bench for England, we've got multi-million pound players on that bench. Now, if we can't beat, if I know France, don't get me wrong, France were the best. They were the world, current world champions. They are a good side, don't yeah. get me wrong. But the way Gareth approached it, by taking Saka off, I honestly don't yeah. know what he's doing. I just, I mean, I think we can argue uh, backwards and forwards about the tactics. The point is they just don't have it. I think that's the problem. And no, they need a manager exactly. that will make them believe in it yeah. and make and them I want think, it. Yeah, somebody like a far. If we have to get a foreign coach in, fair dues, get a foreign coach in. Yeah, absolutely. We just need to do something. I would give it to Mourinho or somebody. You know, somebody well, knows how yeah. to win football games. Or Thomas Tuchel or somebody like that yeah. or right. whatever. Totally. Somebody, no, I totally, yeah. I totally agree. Chris, very good call. Thank you. Kevin, I'm going to come to you the next hour because I haven't got time uh, to listen to your dulcet tones, I'm afraid. Uh, Jacqueline says this. Instead of singing, it's coming home, it's coming home, football's coming home, it should be, they're coming home, they're coming home, take the knee, they're coming home again. Well, they are. Jenny in Abingdon, Southgate should become a diversity manager in the NHS. It's a good one, that. He might be able to actually fix the NHS, or at least he could make everybody believe in it. You know, hi, Mike, here's an idea, says Stu. Tarmac the railways over and let National Express use them exclusively. <laughs> well, don't worry. You might as well do, because there's no trains now for the rest of the week. Forget about it. If you want to go anywhere, just get in your car or get a lift from somebody who's got a car. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, he has made it in, unlike many people who decided to take the rest of the day off, probably the rest of the week off, because it's just too difficult uh, to go anywhere. Uh, Southeastern Railways are actually recommending, as their advice, dust don't travel. Oh, fine. OK, then. Well, so if you've got a doctor's appointment or you've got some kind of health emergency, just don't bother travelling. Just stay at home and die. You can't go out anywhere. In parts of Sussex, there's a water problem now. I don't know why that should be, just because it's been snowing. But we'll be talking about the infrastructure of the country and the upcoming rail strikes. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson this week wrote about how maybe we should just forget about trains altogether um, and not bother getting on them. 0344 499 1000. We'll also talk Ukraine. We'll talk NATO. Uh, we'll talk a great many other things with Peter. And we'll continue to take your calls as well on the, once again, heroic failure, as it is being described, uh, of the England football team, uh, who have once again come home early. Uh, because that's what they do, isn't it? Uh, 0344-499-1000. Coming up later on uh, in the show, also we'll be talking to Dr Julia Patterson um, about the NHS strikes. And Nick Freeman is going to join us. Mr Loophole, he's got some ideas for the Secretary of State for Transport about smart motorways, which are very far, of course, from smart. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. I shouldn't have been at all surprised to see Peter Hitchens here. I was wondering if you'd be able to get in from Oxford because I didn't know what the train situation no, was. Well, sometimes they do prevent me from, from getting in. They I, do. Sometimes there was, uh, I think, a, 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 some snow had blown onto the platform at Paddington Station, so they pretty much stopped <laughs> the entire Great Western Railway on yes. those grounds. I mean, it's interesting. 
Because they didn't do that today. No, there's not that much snow for those of us who have lived in other parts of the world where they have a no. lot of snow. No, it isn't really very much, is it? No, uh, but, but it's enough. It, it's absolutely enough. I, I mean, I was watching it last night thinking, this won't probably last, it won't be here in the morning. And actually, it's the first time for a long time that I can remember snow on the ground that I actually had to sweep off the car. Well, it fell on cold ground because we had so many days yeah. of hard frost, so it, was, it, it did settle a bit, it wasn't mm. much. Right? But it, it is extraordinary how we've, we've become a, a country of excuses, and mm. if there's any excuse to stop things, I think this, this uh, was bad before the Great Panic. But since the Great Panic, when everybody was encouraged to, to stay at home, got used to it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com it liked yeah. it right uh, the any chance to resume the, sitting at home or working from home, as it's called, mm. uh, is it, immediately seized. Yeah, oh, absolutely yeah. right. I mean, I was talking to Rod Little earlier this morning, and he was talking about how when he worked for the BBC, he remembered walking to work from Streatham to Broadcasting House through the snow, because that's kind of what you did. But I don't think anybody does that anymore. No. I have to say, I find it a bit of a stroll to imagine Rod Little walking that far. But it's, Yeah, it's, I know. Well, I have no reason to disbelieve him. No, no, sure no, no. I, wouldn't, I don't doubt it. I just struggle to imagine when it. When he was the all. young, sprightly editor of the day programme. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming he has no reason uh, not, to, not to, uh, to tell the truth on that. But I do remember um, walking long periods of time for you know because there was no bus or because there was no troop train or tube but people don't seem to do that anymore no walking is is, is dying out isn't yeah. it? so you can do things like walking in a gym on, yes. on one of those treadmills oh, yeah. uh, same with running that was but, one of my great surprises when i first moved to new york and saw all these people on on stairmasters inside you know windows of gyms and i thought well you live in a 30-story apartment yeah. <laughs> block why don't you just go up and down the it's, stairs there? it's not a bad it's not a bad reaction to the abolition of exercise and one of the difficulties <laughs> in american cities is where do you walk well yeah um, there, there often aren't any sidewalks and it's terribly these long straight blocks it's quite boring it's so quite you, dull so if you can do it while, while watching something and i suppose to be fair in gym. places like new york in the summer it's a bit hot I, yeah, I believe so. I mean, I used to have to change shirts about three times a day when I worked in uh, in Manhattan. If I went to a press conference or something, you'd put a new shirt on for that, and then by the time you got back, you'd have to change again. 
It's not really very civilised, is it, in North America? It really isn't, no. Although it was actually, it was all right when I was there just recently, when I went to see my mother. Um, but let's talk about your um, column this week. Yeah. Um, we've just got a little bit of breaking news. There's a terrible story up in Solihull at the moment. West Midlands Police confirmed three boys aged 11, 10 and 8 have died oh. after falling into a lake in Solihull yesterday afternoon. A fourth boy aged 6 remains in critical condition. It's a dreadful story. This well, we were all hoping that, that at least some of them would survive. Yes. But it, see, I mean, again, I know it's going to sound very, um, you know, pithy. But but you just if you if you've got children, just tell them don't go on lakes when they're frozen. They're never frozen hard enough. No, I, even when 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 we were in in Moscow and the, the, the river froze hard, you always took a great deal of care mm. where you went, and made sure other people. Had I'm just, I would just never do it. You just don't not, want to. You can't tell. There. Ice can uh, ice can be solid one moment and then can mm. give way another. It's not. Yes. Your advice is right. Yeah, right. Um, let's talk about Ukraine, where there's probably an awful lot of snow right now. Um, the arrogance of folly yeah. you wrote about this weekend. Well, I tried to. There's, the, the, we discussed last week the, the, the Ben Abelow book, and I tried to turn it round because the best way of judging any policy is how you would feel if it was applied to you. Yes. And if the policy which America has been applying to Russia for the past 25 years has been applied to America by, say, China, America would, I think, have gone to war mm. uh, over it. And I put the possibility say that, to say that, that uh, Quebec, French-speaking, largely French-speaking Quebec, have broken away uh, from Canada uh, as Ukraine has broken away from, from Russia mm. and have become an entirely separate country. And that other people have taken advantage of this. The Chinese have moved in and, and set up bases and moved in soldiers and airplanes. What would the United States do if, mm. uh, if there was a foreign power and a foreign alliance less than 300 miles from New York City? Right. It would, I think, almost certainly go to war. Yes. And it, it, it's extraordinary how this, this point just simply is not grasped or understood, that you, there are things you, you can do with countries that, uh, that will cause mm. trouble. I, people then say, well, you're, you're, you're making an excuse for the invasion. I'm not. I think the Russians were, were provoked. Uh, I think there's no doubt they were provoked. Uh, but I personally believe when someone's trying to provoke me, that's the point at which you should be most careful not to be provoked. Mm. And I think it was very stupid of Vladimir Putin. And you've always said that. And I, but there you are. I, just, I, I bung that in before somebody starts saying, oh, a pizza, uh, mm. or, um, or you're excusing war crimes or whatever it is, or other uh, bilge mm. uh, people come up with, because it's, it's not the case. My other concern is this, that the, the, there is, I think... Uh, much more nuclear instability uh, in Europe mm. than there has been for a long time. I remembered uh, when reading uh, Ben Abelow's book the rather joyous occasion when I travelled to Washington, D.C. Uh, my brother was still living there at the time. I stayed with him, in fact, in his small house on Capitol Hill mm. uh, for the Gorbachev-Reagan summit of 1987, just before Christmas. Yeah. It was a lovely time to be there, and it was, it was, it, it was euphoric. Yeah. Because here at last, with the two superpowers doing something to actually lessen the, the, the nuclear danger. Genuinely the, making the world bring the cold. Place. Now, that treaty which they signed amid the plaudits of the entire world has now been ripped up mm. by the United States. Most people don't realize mm. this. They also don't realize that the United States likewise ripped up the anti-ballistic missile treaty, which has a similarly huge effects. And both of these things make the possibility of some kind of nuclear exchange in mm. Europe greater, not smaller. Gorbachev, before he died, very much criticized the action. And this coming together with a war in Ukraine, whose extent is unpredictable. Mm. And for instance, we now get increasingly these, these events in Russia itself, where airfields appear to have been attacked. 
and who knows how long it will be before something of this kind happens in Mm. Moscow itself. Now, the Russians have a way of reacting when these things happen. I personally think that the the Russian attack on Ukrainian infrastructure came as a as a response to the blowing up of the of the Great Kerch Bridge to, to Crimea, mm. which was and uh, has and that also, been fixed yet? Uh, Putin is supposed to have driven over it. If you can believe that, it right. may be true. And the other thing it was a response to was the destruction of the the gas pipeline, the Nord Stream two. Uh, which I think is mm. absurdly being blamed on Russia. Why would they destroy their own mm. pipeline? Uh, and I think that each time these things happen, there's a new escalation. And the, what appears to be a Ukrainian move of sending drones into into Russia itself to attack uh, bases and, and, and sites inside Russia could lead to retaliation. Now, what if the war on the western side spreads outside Ukraine? Mm. Where are we then? And this is the the moment. Remember the great panic when that missile landed yes. in Poland. Where are we then? Right. Uh, how well, much further and faster could this go? Well, I was talking to some military uh, experts that week who said this will never be um, a, a Russian missile that has been fired into Poland. It will never be that because, because it, if it was, be. it can't be that. It can't be. They had to. They had to say it wasn't. Yeah. Who knows what? It, I don't think it was myself. But even if it had been there, yeah. but there might come a point mm. where it, it ceased to be possible to pretend. Otherwise, now I remember uh, back in the 60s, you possibly saw it. It was never shown on the BBC. Peter Watkins made the film The War Game about a nuclear war in this country. And then some years later in the 80s, there was an American version of the same thing made the day after, which I think quite a lot of people will remember. The the problem with those films, they were actually very graphic and actually rather telling about what would happen Mm. to a civilized Western society if it was hit by nuclear weapons. And it's very bad. But... What they couldn't do was come up with a realistic uh, scenario for the outbreak of a mm. nuclear war, right. because there wasn't one at the time. No. Now it seems to me that there is, and I, um, for the first time really in my life, mm. genuinely worry are that you? we are. Oh, I do think that, and, that we and are. And do you think that we got to this point and to the point of the Russian invasion because nobody was really paying attention to what was going on in Ukraine? I think people thought that they could get away with it, I, and I think there's a, la- there's a huge lack of imagination and actually of, of straightforward intelligence mm. here. I think the the world leaders of the 1960s were were, were cleverer than the ones we have yes. now. I don't Almost look, I don't look at the assembly of people in, I, I, in either Washington or Moscow at the moment and think these are people as smart as the ones who were around no. then, or as or as experienced. No. Also, almost everybody who was involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis, for instance, had been in war. Yes, Kennedy had been had been had been in right. war. Khrushchev had been very much involved in this in this in the Soviet. Well, everybody in the Soviet Union remembered war. They all knew yeah. what a horrible thing it was, and so they were very anxious to yeah. avoid it. Now people don't know. No. They think you can get away with it. Mm. And I just get the sense of drift. Uh, well, an awful lot of the White House um, staff, I understand it, are members of the former members of the Obama administration when Biden was in that. And foreign policy in his day was not up to much, it seems to me. No, I, but you, you just don't get the sense, you don't get it here, mm. that the people who are, who, are, who are talking quite loudly about it have any real clue about, about either history mm. or the real nature no. of, of war. They haven't seen it, they don't understand it. And it's just, why is, again... During the Suez Crisis, during the the Vietnam War, during the Iraq War, the Western world was hugely divided. Are we doing the right thing? In Ukraine, there's just this absolutely deadening unanimity, which cannot Mm. be good. 
Uh, everybody is assuming automatically that there's only one side in this argument and nothing else to yeah. be said. That's never true. No, it, but it becomes more and more true in almost all circumstances now, as, as, as we find every single week, unfortunately. Peter, stay with us. Peter Hitchens is here. We're going to talk about hereditary peers. We'll talk about another British TV show as well, actually, that I've just remembered uh, that was rather good, too. Uh, we'll have more after this. Talk radio and talk TV. Open discussion. Healthy debate. Watch online at talk.tv. Listen live on DAB+. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV. And get access to exclusive content by downloading the Talk TV mobile app. Available for free now from the App Store and Google Play. This is the home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The snow is no longer falling on central London, but uh, there'll be plenty of disruption, no doubt, throughout the week, not least because of the train strikes that kick in as of tomorrow. Peter Hitchens is here with us. I mean, you're a, a man that uses the train probably more than most. Will you be affected by these train strikes? I don't know. My experience with RMT strikes is that the trains are better on strike days than they are That's on That's what I've heard. And in fact, I heard that this morning from some people who travel in from parts north, not in the very far north, but sort of Hertfordshire way, that the train services this morning were it, much better than they normally see, are. The real problem for railway operators is passengers. If there were no passengers, uh, yes. they, they could run a perfect service. As I discovered during the, the, the lockdown when the trains were running and I carried on going to work, right. often I had a very expensive chauffeur-driven train <laughs> every well, day. This is the, th the trains were always yeah. on time. There was never any problem because I was the only passenger. It right. took no time to load me on and get me off. So so there we are. The and well, this is why the, But passengers, as soon as they turn up, and the in NHS, strike, strike days, the passenger numbers fall, yes. so the trains run more reliably. It's right. interesting, isn't it? And Presumably there are fewer people working there to uh, mess up the uh, the plans. Well, I wouldn't like to say. I mean, uh, the other <laughs> I don't thing, want to tempt fate. Here. The other thing, of course, is that's what the NHS would prefer as a model with no patients. You know, lots of lovely gleaming hospitals, but unfortunately the patients or really screw they screw things up in a massive way. The patients because you have to you have to deal with them and you have to fix them and you have to try. And I'm just going to say this because I'm going to keep on saying it. Yeah. This is what we need is to introduce a French-style health system here. Yeah. It's, it's, theirs is 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 equally dedicated to giving people uh, free health care, but it is much, much better than mm. ours, and it's much better run, and it works better, and it delivers better, and it's time we stop saying, oh, well, if we get rid of the NHS, mm. it'll be the American system. It won't. No. There are other ways of doing it. Let's have a French-type NHS here, well, please. Well, the key to the uh, no answer, public I wards think, either. Everyone yeah. gets a private room. The key to, to the answer for what's wrong with the NHS is that nobody else copies the system. Nobody there is nobody it. else in the world that does it. But that way. The, the, and the arguments, the arguments for it are always panic arguments. So we can't touch it. We can't touch it. Nothing can be changed. Mm. And it can be changed. It could be changed. And it would be so much better if it was, and it ought to be. Yes, I couldn't agree with we you. We should more. look at France. Every, we should send a delegation over to France, look at their system, say, and, and find out exactly what it is they do right. Well, do it. We're giving them enough money. Well, um, not for that. No, but we don't know what for. Well, no, I believe in giving the French money to, to, to stop migration. I think it's, it's the most... Effective. Yeah, if it works. It does work. The more we give, the better it'll work. Mm. It's, a, it's a serious country. I, I, I keep saying I've, I have a lot of time for the French, and they, if, if we give them hard money, they'll give us hard action back. But we have to, we have to be prepared to pay enough. Right. And compared with the, the stuff we waste money on, HS2... Uh, Trident Renewal, who knows what else, uh, that it does absolutely net zero. No, no good at all. Net zero. Well, worse which, which brings us to um, uh, the power cut situation. Yeah. Um, there was a power cut in Sussex last night when it started snowing. Nobody knows why. 
Um, it's not didn't last very long, but you know it was disruptive. It's probably one of those those local transformers, sort jobs of brownouts or something yeah. like that. But I was listening to um, somebody from the National Grid this morning talking yeah. about how they've got coal on yes. standby, <laughs> and apparently you didn't explain it very well, and the person interviewing him wasn't asking the right questions. But apparently you have to warm it up. Oh, you do in order to make it ready for use, and they've got it ready for use because they amazingly uh, can't find enough energy from uh, wind power. No, they saved a couple of of, of, of generators. At at Drax, which has mainly gone over to this ridiculous biofuel. Yes, the biomass would change. But the, they have destroyed so many other coal-fired power stations yeah. that it's still a strain. I mean, we are having some difficulty importing the the electricity from France, which has kept us going for a right. long time. When, when the wind doesn't blow, we right. have to have French electricity. And the French nuclear power system has, has been badly in need of maintenance and renewal and that's slowed yes, it's down been depleted, their, their supplies. Mm. So there is, a, there, is, there is a danger and there's another thing about power which people ought to know. There's a thing called inertia yes. in the system which keeps it going, which stops it from flipping into, in, in, into, into power cuts and that is provided only by, by nuclear or coal or, or, or possibly hydro power generation. Wind won't do it. Mm. You have to have that inertia being produced. Right. And one of the reasons why we had, you may remember back in the summer of 2019, we had an extraordinary power cut. That was because of a failure of inertia. Mm. We really do need coal and nuclear. And it's absurd. I, I say it again, the, the Indians and the Chinese are building huge numbers of coal-fired power stations. Yeah. If we closed all our coal-fired capacity, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't change the effect that they're having, no. whatever it is. And yet, the, and man yet from the, the man from the National Grid was very insistent, despite being questioned on it several times, that, that they will be phasing coal out. Well, I think th th that may not turn out to be true. I think they won't dare now. Mm. But then the other thing, we rely enormously on gas which we pretend is a clean fuel, yeah. but it, it, it simply doesn't qualify. And also, when these things go wrong, there are banks of diesel generators all over the country, which yeah. are anything but green, yes. which cut in to save us from power. Well, we're now doing that green investment, aren't we, whereby um, we don't produce any fracking of our own, but we'll buy in the Americans' yeah, fracking gas, because that's fine. And for people, who don't, for people who don't like nuclear, we, we, buy, um, we buy French nuclear electricity and, and quite a lot from other continental countries as well. I think we even buy electricity from Ireland. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, we buy an awful lot of gas from Qatar, as well, well yes, of uh, which of course uh, is a country a which find, uh, has a very bad record on human rights. Law governed democracy. When they come to playing football, <laughs> everybody's fine. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to worry about there. Um, and finally, um, what's wrong with hereditary peers in Parliament? Nothing. Other no, we should, if we should go and hunt them down and bring them back. Yeah. Well, don't worry. We didn't get rid of all of them, did we? Because there's almost all, all. I mean, in all Blair's uh, arrangements, there was 99 of them left behind. Yeah, but tiny numbers. The great thing about these people, people say, well, how can you have legislation? Uh, revised by people who, who owe their seat in Parliament to the fact that Charles II slept with their great-great-great-great-grandmother. So yeah. that's exactly the kind of person you need in the House of Lords. <laughs> they don't owe anything to anybody alive. Right. They, they may feel a very strong debt to Charles II, but he has no, no place in modern government and he can't put any pressure on them. And the great thing about the hereditary peers, as I used to find when I went over there to visit the House mm. of Lords when I went there, nobody could push them around. Now, isn't that exactly the kind of legislative chamber that you want, one where you can't push the people around. MPs on the other hand, mm. they're basically government employees. They can be threatened, they can be cajoled, they can be blackmailed, yes. and, and, and they can be pushed down the chute of, of embarrassment and shame and disgrace if they give any trouble at all. They're powerless. Yeah. Whereas hereditary peers, 
they could they could say to the government, no, that's a stupid piece of legislation. It's unwise and wrong. I'm not voting for it. I prefer that. Bring them back. And if you were suits and all, if you were made um, a lord in the House of Lords because of your affiliation to a particular party, presumably you're not in favour of that either. Though. Well, it's I, there are there are there are people I, I I know in the House of Lords who make a decent job of it, and uh, undoubtedly they try very hard to yeah. be to, to be good. But the fact is, you have to dance with the one who brung you. Mm. If a political party has put you into the Lords, you feel a sense of obligation towards. It. So if there's a if there's a measure of doubt as to whether you should vote for something or not, you will tend to do mm. that out of loyalty rather than out of reason. That's bad. Yeah, it really is. Um, and there's too many of them anyway. I mean, should well, they? The, the, should they has simply... also been used to pay uh, to pay political debts and to keep control yeah. over, over over people, and it's far too big. Mm. I don't know what. It, uh, in many ways, I. Abolition may be the only answer, but if you abolish it and then and then went and hunted down all the old hereditary peers and said, "Please come back," uh, you would you could do an awful lot worse mm. than what we have now, or what we would have if we had that disastrous thing, an elected second chamber, which would have exactly the same authority as the House of Commons and would fight with it all the time. Yeah. You'd never get anything. Which done. is what Keir Starmer is proposing. Well, isn't that's he? crazy. I don't, hasn't anybody told him? No, apparently not. But of course, he proposes lots of things, and he doesn't then generally do. Well, anything. we don't really know what he's going to do because I, almost certainly he'll he'll do it in concert with the Liberal Democrats in yeah. some kind of alliance and that means that he will be free from any manifesto commitments in reality and can do pretty much mm. what he likes and what they want yes exactly what right they likes and what they like and what he wants yes well i mean we're still a very long way away from any kind of general election it would seem not that far you know. rishi sunak and his managerial um, kind of style it's like it's like somebody who's come in as a management consultant to ruin everything I, don't know, I think they've just been—they have been handed a pretty horrible legacy. They so have. I do. I don't have any time for any of them. But I do feel slightly sorry for them that here they are, mm. uh, with a whole load of strikes that they don't know what to do with. Mm. Though of course they are ultimately Sunak is ultimately the cause of these strikes because yeah. the ultimate cause of strikes is the inflation which he brought about yes. uh, by his uh, his acceptance of right. the of, of the COVID panic. And now they're hoping that the inflation rate is going to dip down. But uh, we are out of time, sadly. So we'll have to Shame. pick that up next week. Good luck getting about uh, the rest of the week on the trains or uh, whatever lack of trains there are or whether there are any trains at all. We just don't know. The weather uh, has wreaked havoc, apparently, with the southeast. And let's see what the rest of the day brings. Uh, we'll be back with Peter Hitchens this time next week. More coming up after the news. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. There is much to do uh, and there's plenty of time to do it in. Still, it's coming up to just after half past 11, of course. Ian Collins will be here from one o'clock. And coming up uh, later on this afternoon, uh, Vanessa Feltz from four. Uh, Jeremy Carl live at seven o'clock. We'll be talking to him a little bit later on. Uh, Piers Morgan at eight and then the talk with me uh, at nine o'clock tonight. That will be going on um, as well. We're still um, marvelling, really, at the reaction to a tweet that I put out on Saturday night after the England loss to France. Um, it's now had a million plus hits uh, from people, many of whom agree with me, many of whom do not agree with me. But there is this kind of mad sense about Gareth Southgate, like he's some kind of NHS style figure who can't be criticised, who cannot be in any way ever um, questioned as to whether his uh, attitude to winning is right. He doesn't seem to have an attitude to winning at all. He doesn't seem to want to win. He just wants to play fair and he wants to take part and he wants to be proud of the players. And I mean, that's all very well, but you don't win anything doing that. You don't win anything by being Mr. Nice Guy all the time. And I think France proved that uh, on Saturday evening. And of course, we will be following all of that on TalkSport. Uh, the two semi-finals which are coming up, France against Morocco, uh, Argentina against Croatia. Uh, it's all getting down to the wire in Qatar. 
But I imagine, presumably, all the England fans have come back. And if you're one of them uh, and you've got something to tell me about your trip out there, then by all means, do let me know. Uh, we heard from Rod Little earlier on who was saying he, how appalled he was that there was no nasty chance about the French. Because that's partly what football is. And he's a big football fan and he goes to football on a regular basis and that's the kind of football that he wants to see. That's the kind of experience that he wants to have. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the uh, number to call us on. Alex says this lockdown's finished the NHS off and there's no coming back. Put a fork in it. The NHS is done. Congratulations to all the lockdown loons. Well, I mean, you could take that point of view. Certainly, if you've got any kind of NHS appointment, if you've got any procedure being done this month, I think it's going to be tricky touch and go even if it ever happens we've got seven million people plus now waiting for their first sort of assessment their first procedure on the nhs there's possibly thought to be another 10 million behind that it's an awful lot of people to see and instead what we've got are train strikes we've got paramedic strikes we've got nurses due to go on strike this thursday the nhs is supposedly going to draft in troops but according to a piece of the times today it won't prevent the chaos that will be all over the system and hospitals in England, this one's even more amazing, right, are paying up to £5,000 and more a day for locum doctors, for people to come in and cover for doctors that they don't have. That's where the money's going. I can't believe nobody has actually seen this. We've seen it, and we've been talking about it for a long time. Let's talk to Martin Gower, uh, former NHS Trust Chair. He knows a thing or two about it as well. Martin, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So, I mean, I suppose... Never, the, never, never minding all of the headlines. I mean, the one which tells me that the NHS is paying in excess of £5,000 a day to doctors just so they can get them in to do work is an extraordinary figure, isn't it? It is extraordinary. I mean, it just shows you the level of, of shambles there is. Um, I don't think it's happening that often at that level, to be fair. But actually, the fact that it's happened at all is, is just disgraceful. And, and, and I, I, I think the NHS is, is in a mess I think the strikers are not helping it. The BMA are threatening that junior doctors are going to go on strike as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used the, the expression last week when we talked, Mike, uh, that, it, that it was like kicking a wounded animal. I mean, the, the NHS was severely damaged by what happened during COVID. Um, and, and, and really, it's, it's the worst I've ever heard of it. And um, the strikers are just making it a heck of a lot worse. And, and we, we really don't, know, don't need this to happen. Yes, we really don't. But it doesn't look as if at this moment in time, Martin, it's going to be put off. I heard the, um, the representative of the RCN over the weekend, I think she was on one of the Sunday morning programmes, talking about how they were willing to sit down um, with the Secretary of State for Health, um, giving the indication, at least, that they might call the strikes off if something could be arranged. But I haven't heard anything today. I get the sense that they'd like to call the strikes off, but that, that would look as if a bit of a climb down... But actually, the thing that they would win would be direct access to the Secretary of State, which would demonstrate their political influence. Um, and I think we had the same thing with um, uh, Mr. Lynch, Ebenezer Lynch, you know, um, summoning <laughs> Rishi Sunak. Now, that's talk. a new one. I've called him Mick Grinch in the past. I haven't heard of Ebenezer, but I like it. Well, I'm going tomorrow to see uh, the Christmas Carol production in the RSC. Oh, I'm told that's very good. I, I understand it's superb. But no, I, I, th I think the, the political dimension to this is very, very strong indeed. I understand from people I've talked to uh, around the NHS that there's not an appetite among a lot of nurses to go on strike. Mm. Um, I think they would like to have talked, but it, it would demonstrate a kind of win 
if Steve Barclay climbed down and said, oh, yes, of course, I'll talk to you, thereby, of course, undermining the review body, undermining the chief executive of the NHS, undermining NHS employers, undermining NHS trusts. Um, you know, Mike, what, they sh what should have happened here, we know how hard people worked during the the, the COVID, the first wave of COVID, all the people in ICUs and on ventilators, etc. I think in any private sector organisation, certainly any that I've headed in my past, admittedly not in healthcare, I would have said to those staff, look, we're really, we're really grateful for all you've done during this period. We know it's been very hard work, nightmare. You've put, you've, you've gone the extra, uh, extra length to, to, to help it. So here is a thousand fifteen hundred pounds as a bonus to say a big thank you mm. and i think that would have been a sensible thing to have done at the time it wouldn't have committed to some long-term percentage increase in the level of costs to the nhs but it would have been something that gave some recognition not to all the people around the edges uh, but to the people who actually were really genuinely on the front line mm. of care during the covid crisis um i i can remember uh, a time in, in my past uh, work in the newspaper industry when we had press breakdowns and staff came in and helped and, 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 and you know, we, we, it was, it was, and yes, you did reward them. Yeah. Um, usually, usually with, a, with, with, a, with a few pounds and a decent party as well. But, yes. But this, I mean, the problem with the NHS, it seems to me, is that for so long they have had these ridiculous practices like hiring doctors for £5,200 a day, like hiring agency nurses to fill in the gaps that they should be filling with recruitment because it's an easier option. But it's our money they're spending and it's our money they're wasting and that's madness. It, it is. And the agencies who provide both locum doctors and um, backup nurses, they really are have grown very very strong it's a great business to be in it, and, and it's very hard to combat um, there was a chief executive of nhs improvement a few years back um, sir jim Mackey, who did a pretty good job actually in reducing the level of spend on agency staff mm. and i know in the midlands they did very well particularly but actually it's very very hard nurses and doctors can earn more can choose the hours they work earn more and of course it costs the nhs a lot more mm. and how you stop that that drift of people across to agency and locum working is is quite challenging my belief is that the way to stop it is in the short term and i'm not talking as uh, i think it was liz kendall talking about what might happen in five years time i'm talking about what needs to happen now yeah is we need to we do need to bring more nurses in from overseas um, that is the way we will actually resolve the situation in the short term and that and people need to get on with that. They are available. They're not damaging overseas health systems. Uh, they are very well qualified, very motivated and probably some of the least likely people to want to go on strike as well. Well, that's right. But I mean, is it possible to stop some of this stuff in its tracks, as it were? You know, can you just issue as, as say, the leader of an NHS trust? Um, a dictum that says we will no longer hire these doctors at this kind of money. Uh, if you want to find more doctors, find them another way. Uh, yes, it is possible to say that. Um, and of course, that is basically what has been said. Um, there were tar very strict targets set uh, for reducing agency usage mm. when I was still in there in 2020. But um, the problem comes when you've got a couple of people off sick, you've got a couple of people on holiday, you're on a tight nursing uh, quota on your ward. 
And somebody says, frankly, we cannot run safe services with the level of staffing that we've got in, in the ward at the moment. So, you know, it, it is, it's, all, it's all emergency. It's all stopping gaps in the short term. Mm. Um, people I know, I mean, the, the, the NHS Trust don't want to uh, uh, employ agency nurses or locums. Um, they, they, they really don't. But actually, it's the it's the it's the lack of uh, of, of proper substantive employees, which goes and the, and the problem there, Mike, goes back many 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 years uh, with recruiting and, and training training nurses. It really is an extraordinary situation. I can't understand why they've let it go on for as long as they have. But Martin, I'm sure you and I will be talking about this for a while. The big strikes begin this Thursday, uh, it would appear. Uh, strike on the 21st uh, for ambulance drivers. Nurses go on strike this Thursday. So if you're worried about any kind of operation that you're supposed to be having, you must check probably with your local hospital, with your local doctor if you can, uh, because this is going to wreak havoc, it seems to me, on everyday people's lives on everyday people's appointments, on everyday people's medical conditions. Angry Anne says, Hi Mike, uh, the corrupt mafia-style NHS has been operating like this for years. Any member of staff dared to whistleblow any shape or form was sacked, made up charges against them. Oh, believe me, it went on. They're all part of a clique, just like the lying government will never get the truth. Anne is not happy about the NHS. And who can blame her? Who could be happy about an organisation that simply does not work? This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.